Awesome. God, thanks so much for Gordy. Thanks for who he is. Thank you that you've given us as a, a church such a great leader and such a great friend who is a man of integrity, who is generous and, um, and faithful with the money that you have given him and, and to our church. And thank you that you've given him a word for today. I pray that you would make him bold to speak what you've given him to say uh, and that you would open our hearts to hear what you have for us. Lord, I just pray, too, that um, I thank you so much for the tenderness that Gordy has and that he is such a sympathetic person and that um, I know that as you speak to him that you're going to speak to him, too, about just pain that has happened for people in this area of life and tenderness. And, Lord, I thank you that you've just made him to be such a compassionate, empathetic person and that he's going to be able to speak not only with authority but just with great tenderness today about what you have for him to share. And so I bless him with any authority you've given to me to just speak your word in, in the right word in, in season today. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Joanna. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you and welcome. If you woke up this morning and for the first time in 30 years you said, I'm going to church. And you come, and we're talking about money, and you said, I knew it. All they ever do is talk about money. Well, I want you to know that this is the first time I've talked about it in many years. I, um, I, uh, don't, uh, I don't talk about it as often as Jesus did. Uh, they say that he talked about it one-third of his teaching is about money. Uh, so it was, it was pretty important to him. And uh, he... he um, he, re- he uh, recognized uh, something that's very important, and that is that we have been given a mission. This is, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you have said, okay, I want to follow you, Jesus, and be in your mission, uh, your mission, should you accept it, is very costly. In fact, mission, the mission of the church is the costliest enterprise there ever was. Making disciples, sending out missionaries, Reaching the lost, bringing social justice, uh, touching our city the way God has called us to is very expensive and is very costly, especially if you live in Vancouver. And so, mission is a very costly thing. It says, God so loved the world that He gave, and it was costly for God. It cost God everything He had uh, to, to send His Son uh, to launch this mission. And so, um, it, 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 uh, for that reason, it, the, the topic of money did occupy a lot of Jesus' uh, uh, discussion, his teaching. Uh, he talked about stewardship. He talked about social justice. Talked about the poor. Um, and uh, sometimes we get, as as Joanna inferred in the prayer, sometimes there's some nervous, some tender points. It reminds me of the little girl who was given a $1 bill and a 25 cents by her mother in the middle of church. And she said, the mother whispered to her and said, you can give whichever one you want. So later on, the mom asked the little girl which one she gave. And the little girl said, well, I gave 25, I gave the quarter, and here's what happened. I was going to give the dollar, but I heard the pastor say you need to be happy when you give, so I gave the quarter. <laughs> so um, some of you can identify that one. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to be really cheeky right off the top. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue. One, one of the confusing things that sometimes happens with finances and teaching on finances is that Jesus talks a lot about money and he talks a lot about giving. But he doesn't talk a lot about tithing. He does talk about tithing. He affirms it as a new covenant practice. But he doesn't talk about it a lot. Now, the reason he doesn't talk about tithing a lot is because the same reason he doesn't talk about praise, and praise a lot. It's, it was an assumed spiritual discipline that in the Jewish context. And so it, it was just one of those things, as I said last week when we talked about meditation and some of the other spiritual disciplines, we assume the scriptures write about them assuming that people understood them. But now we're 2,000 years later in different culture and a different time. And so a lot of these practices need to be, there needs to be a, a fresh understanding revived. And so what I want to do today is I want to argue for the principle of tithing as a, as a, as a baby step in, in, in our financial stewardship and give a biblical, um, we're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning, give a biblical understanding as to why I think it's important. I'm going to offer that to you. The second thing I'm going to argue very cheekily is I believe that the tithe belongs in your local church. Wherever you're, now I understand some of you are maybe in transition and you're not sure where you're going to land and we've been in that time sometimes and, and so we've had to follow our heart. Uh, some, sometimes we've been in places where where we're, we're in between. And, but but once, you're, once you're landed in a, in a local church assembly and part of that local church, I believe that the, the prosperity and blessing of that local church is very important to the heart of God, for the kingdom of God to be advanced in the city, in the nation, and in the world. I believe that the, as the success and prosperity and blessing of local churches, so is the blessing of the kingdom of God. They, they're very connected together. So I'm going to argue for that, and I'm going to again follow some scriptural principles. There's a lot of good practical reasons for it I could give you, and I'll give a few of those, but I'm going to, give, I'm going to really try to ground this in scripture this morning. So let's dive in and look at our text. Uh, if you're just joining us, the reason why we're on money today is not because we think, oh, we, it, 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 hey, that's a good idea, let's talk about money, or we just went through January and our finances are low. No, it has nothing to do with that. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we've come to the section, as we've said, the Sermon on the Mount is a syllabus. It's an outline of all of Jesus' teaching. And so we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we've come to this particular text, which is why we're going to talk about it. So let me just read it to you. Jesus speaking says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, or sorry, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Let's all read the last text together. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. Now, before I get to, I want to take some time, as I said this morning, to, to address tithing. But before I do, let's work through the text a little bit together. So I'm going to go back to the first slide about do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, there's a very interesting, if you don't know Greek, you, you won't see this. But there's an interesting play on words there because the word store is almost the, the verb form of the word treasure. So it's like Jesus is saying, do not treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now here's how I've quoted, I've heard that quoted in the past. Don't store up things. Or, don't uh, store up treasures on earth. I've heard that quoted, preached on a lot. And they preached against saving and preached against all this kind of stuff, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, store it up. The issue is not whether or, you, or not you do it, but, but where. And, 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 and it's kind of like parents when they give their kids allowance. And I, I heard about some kids yesterday that get allowance and their mom's owing them a little bit of money. Yeah, okay, time to pay up, mom. Anyway, uh, it's kind of, I, I heard that uh, uh, they, they, similar to our kids, when they were growing up, we gave them chores and their allowance was tied to, to, to chores, and, and uh, my son used to go do the wand wash with me at the car every Saturday morning, and they had dishes and things like make their bed, and, 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 and we'd give them a little allowance. Well, my kids were both pretty good at saving, and what I noticed was they started getting a pretty good stash, <laughs> and I started to get a little bit concerned because of all this money that they were storing in, or maybe $3 a week or whatever it was at the time, and... It started to get pretty... And so I started getting concerned for them. And I said, you know, you need to store this in a safer place. You need to put this in the bank. Because, you know, and, and, and very early they learned... Uh, Hello, Keisha. Spirit-filled dog there, over there. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, um, so, so they, they, you know, they, they'd learned to tithe... And then I taught them to, to put it in the bank. It was, it was important. And that is the heart of our Father in this passage. He's saying, it's important for you. I don't want you to lose what I've given you. Money is not bad. It's good. But I want you to invest it in a safe place where thieves can't steal it. Where, where, where you know, moths, can, moths used to wreck people's expensive clothing back in those days. And, and rust. Anybody have a rust problem? You know, with your car or whatever it is, right? It, Jesus said that the, uh, where you store, store it in a place where that won't happen, where it won't rust. So it's not whether or not you store it, but it's, uh, it's where. And, and then he says, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. He doesn't say where your heart is, there is your treasure. He says, your heart follows your treasure. And, and this word heart is cardia, and it's never used for your physical heart in the Bible. The word heart is the center of your being. It's the center of what, in fact, one commentator says, it's the desire producer. Your heart is the desire producer that makes us tick. So, so there's a, 
there's a there's a, a principle that you invest where you invest, your heart follows. I used to say I got I got treasure in Switzerland, mm-hmm. right? Because what I've invested in was over there, my daughter and her family. And I didn't explain myself one Sunday, and and in the middle of the week, I woke I woke up in the middle of the night and went, oh goodness, my church thinks I got money in a Swiss bank somewhere. <laughs> I better clarify that. But where, where, you, where you invest, your heart follows. So Jesus understood that where you invest, it's like people, just normal investments, right? You read the investment report on where you've invested your money. You, you're interested in it. You're concerned about it. So when people give to the local church, when they invest, you know what? I've watched this. Jesus said when you're faithful with the unrighteous mammon, you're entrusted with true riches. And I find that people who invest in their local church have a heart for their local church. It's just, you, their, their heart follows their treasure. Your heart will follow what you treasure, what you store up. Now another key factor in this passage is the word heaven. This is where a lot of us get confused, you know, and preachers get up and say, well, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it, you know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, and it's all this stuff about the sweet by and by. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. I know he is talking about eternal reward, but there's more to it than that. It has to do with the here and now. The word heaven uh, in, the, in the Greek has three different meanings primarily attached to it. First, it, it, in essence, it's whatever is not the earth. And the first meaning for the use of heaven was the atmosphere, where the birds fly and, and, and the air. The second uh, meaning was the space, space and the stars and the heavens that they would see at night. And the, the third meaning was the place of God's dwelling, which was sometimes called the third heaven. Here's the thing. Heaven is where God lives. It's where the angels live. It's where, in Hebrews, it says, we have come to, to the spirits of the just made perfect. Because Jesus' announcement was, heaven's come. Heaven is here. There's an invasion. And if you read the last chapter of the book, we're not going anywhere. It's coming here. And that's our mission. What are we to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So when we talk about heaven here, we're not talking about, oh, I'm giving my money away so that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a big mansion by the beach. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about an alternate economy, an alternative economy that is here now. It's right here. Come on, sister. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. All right. Okay, so, so Jesus then goes on to say, the eye of the lamp uh, of, is the lamp of the body. He, start, he seems to just totally go off track, doesn't he here? He starts talking about the body and the eye, and what's all this about? Well, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? So Jesus, he, he, he starts giving a metaphor here of the body. And he says, just like a lamp gives light to a dark room, that's what your eye does to your body. So everybody's going, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, if, and, and, if, and if your eye isn't very good, then it's like a lamp going out in a dark room. You kind of bump around and you can't see where you're going. 
So Jesus says, he says this, and then you kind of want to go, and? <laughs> so, <laughs> what are you on about? Well, again, you have to understand the context that he was saying this. The, in, in Jewish culture, when they talked about an evil eye, that meant a stingy eye. When they talked about a good eye, it meant a generous eye. So Jesus was saying, if you have a generous eye, your body is full of light. If you have a stingy eye, your body is full of darkness. But there's more to it than that. It's not just about having a generous eye or a stingy eye. It's how you see God. It's how you see your Father. If you see your Father as stingy and miserly and resenting any blessing He wants to send you, that somehow He wants you poor and sick and broke and miserable, then that's how you're going to live your life. But if you see God as good and, and generous, and by the way, He's pretty wealthy too. If you see Him that way, then that's going to affect how you live. That's going to affect how you treat other people, how you treat your kids, how you treat your sisters and brothers in the family of God. If your eye is good, if you see God as generous and benevolent and, 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 and so full of desire to bless us and do us good. Now, he knows that material things and money can cause damage if our heart is wrong, but he's given us ways to deal with that. He's given us principles from His kingdom that we're going to talk about today that help us deal with that so that money never gets us. We have money, but money doesn't have us. Money makes a terrible, terrible master, but it makes a wonderful servant. Right. And that's what this passage is about. Am I yelling? Yeah, yeah I am yelling. I'll, I'll settle down a bit. Right. Back to the vineyard. Back to the vineyard. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Edward. <laughs> All right. So, so then he goes, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or mammon, as it says in, in, the, in the Greek. Mammon was a... Uh, he almost personifies money as a, as a spirit, as a, as, a, as a principality here. Now, in, we need to understand the master-slave culture of that time. It wasn't like the, the, the American, African-American. That wasn't a good, positive thing. But back in those days, you basically had very few masters and a lot of slaves. But if, if somebody was your master, they owned you. But they were benevolent. What that, when it says they owned you, they were... They took care of you. They took care of your rent, your room, your board. They made sure that you were healthy. If you had medical problems, they take care of you. They took care of you. And so when Jesus talks about master here, he's not talking about somebody who orders you around. He's saying, who takes care of you? Who do you trust in? Who do you serve? Of course, serving was part of that. And either money or God is your master. Can't do both. So it's about trust. It's about where your security is. Is it in God or is it in money? Right? So, how do we move money from being our master to being our servant? So, this is where the principle of the tithe and offerings I want to talk about 
Now, there's a lot more to financial stewardship than tithe and offerings, but it's a very, very critical first step. So I'm understand I'm talking about baby steps here. It's still important to learn to budget and I save and plan and all that. I, I'm, I'm into that. But it's most important to deal with the spiritual, getting the spiritual roots dealt with first. And so the first baby step is the tithe. And if you're not sure what the word tithe is, it literally means giving the practice of giving God the first 10% of your income. So you say, well, should I, do I give him my net or my gross? <laughs> well, if you're asking that question, you're already on the wrong track, right? <laughs> we're, we're, already, we're already heading down the wrong track. Because again, God, is, is, if you believe what, what the Bible says about your father, isn't that what Jesus' message was about, about God's character, about what he's like? So the tithe is giving to God, just saying, Lord, of, of every income that I receive, I give back to you the first 10% as a minimum. I, I give that back to you. And... And, and, and God introduces this in Scripture as a way to move money from being our master to being our servant. And so, one of the, the, because we're on commercial drive, and this is traditionally Little Italy in Vancouver, let's go to Malachi. Uh, the prophet Malachi. He's the last prophet in the Old Testament, right? And he's called to the drive. So, Malachi introduces a... A problem here that the people of God are having where money was their master. Money had become their master rather than their servant. So God is speaking through Malachi. And he's saying, you guys are having to depend on the mob, man. What do you think you're doing? Right? I, the Lord, do not change. So the descendants of Jacob, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me... And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return to you? So God says that His people have left Him. They've walked away from Him and He is no longer their master. Something else has become their master. And here's what God says to them. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. A little girl left a note on the pastor's desk with a $5 bill. And the, and the, and the, and the note said, this is my thieves' money. Thieves. And he couldn't figure out what in the world she was talking about. And finally he got, and talk, got to talk to her and she'd spelled tithes wrong. <laughs> my thieves' money. But then he thought about it and thought, that's quite profound what she's saying here. So they said, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now I'm gonna, you're going to see this theme through the rest of this sermon. When God's house prospers, God's people prosper. There's a connection. When God's house sucks, God's people suck. Kind of welcome to the east side, folks. All right. So bring the whole tithe that there may be food in my house. Now, God says something He doesn't say about any other topic in Scripture. He doesn't say this about any other... In fact, it forbids us to test God. 
But on this one, he says, test me. Because some of you, 10%, you're going, gulp. God says, well, just try it. Give it a try. Give it three months. It's not working. Go back to being a miser, stingy, miserable brat, right? <laughs> Give it a try. I remember uh, uh, one of the vineyard pastors that used to travel around teaching on this would challenge people. I don't have the guts to do it, but he would challenge people to say, you try it for three months, and if you're still not able to pay your bills, send them to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I don't trust people. I live in the east side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not traveling around like he is. I can, I can feel called to Hawaii all of a sudden, right? All right. So, so, so there's, there's this where God says, are you gulping that? Then trust me. Peter Marshall, the great preacher of the 50s and 60s in, in, in America, was telling this story about this guy that was making 2000 a month. And he started to tithe off his 2000 bucks. So what's a tithe of 2000 $200. The first $200 that he made, he'd give to God and live on the rest. Well, God started to bless him. He made five, started making five, ten. And by within a few years, God had so blessed this guy, he was making $500,000 a month. Multi-millionaire. Right? He came to Peter Marshall and he said... Is that right? 500000 I might be getting that wrong. 5000 What's $500? What, a, a tithe of? 5000 Sorry. I was really off there. Glad we're What? Glad. I need to take math. All right. So, so he, comes to the, he comes to his pastor, Peter Marshall, and he says to him, I can't afford $500. I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I can't tithe anymore. So Peter Marshall, this is a true story. He says, let's pray. So he said, oh, okay, well, that's good. Prayer's good. So he starts praying. He says, dear Lord, this poor man can no longer afford to tithe $500. Would you please reduce his income back down to where he could afford to tithe? <laughs> guy goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, right? But we're like that, aren't we? One guy was telling about his 12-year-old son who, who got his first job, and, and he didn't have any income before he had that job. And then when he, when he, when he found out what the tithe was, he goes, I can't afford that. And the dad's going, but, but you didn't have anything before. Right? But we're funny that way the, way, the way that we think, right? So somebody said, well, that's extortion. No, 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 no. Let's read on. I'll, I'll read the last couple of verses here from Malik, Malachi. God says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Oh, sorry. I didn't read the rest of the promise there. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's quite a promise. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So somebody said, well, that's extortion. No, no, it's not extortion. The fact of the matter is, you don't have to do this. You are not under the law, but we're under grace. Right? And that's what a lot of people will embrace when we talk about the, the issue of money. Well, I don't have to do anything. But, but the, you know, a guy that's addicted to pornography, when he comes to Christ, you say, well, you're free to continue in your pornography. Well, you know, we're not under the law, we're under grace. What would we say to him? 
No, you're choosing to be a slave. You're choosing to stay in bondage. And it's the same principle. It's not a matter of can you or can't you, but do you want to be free? Do you want money to be your master or your servant? That's what this is about. And I can't say that strongly enough. In fact, I'm tempted to yell again, but I won't. All right. So where does the idea of tithing come from? Well, it comes from an agricultural society where people would give God the first of their flocks, the first of their, their, their produce from the land. They would come and give him the best. And we see the first offering like that from Cain and Abel. Abel gave God his best. We, and we get the feeling that, Ab, that Cain didn't. Cain kind of gave God his leftovers. But, and there's a lot of leftover giving, by the way, in the church today. And, I'll, and I have statistics to prove that. The average, the average, you know what people give in the church today in North America, in the Western world? 2.3% of their income. And that's not all Christians. That's just committed Christians. That's just people who attend regularly church. 2.3%. That's leftovers, folks. That's not first fruits. That's not giving God our best. Do you want to, want to know why there's revival in Korea and China and South America and not in North America? Because Jesus said, if you're unfaithful with the unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you the true riches? I'll never forget the time I thought, I used to hear this stuff and I thought, well, it doesn't work in the third world. Well, it doesn't work. You know, it's, that's a North American thing. That's a, that's a Western. Then I started hearing st stories filtering out of places like Korea, where Yonggi Cho, back in the 1960s, he felt so guilty about coming to a poverty-stricken people and telling them to tithe. They were, they were in abject poverty. And he felt, and God challenged him. He said, do you want your people to be free, or do you want them to be in bondage? And so he began to teach on tithing. This was in Yong, this was on Yoido. Yoido Island, he began to teach. And he said to them, begin to give God your best. Give him the first 10%. And they said, well, we don't have any money. He said, well, what do you have? We have chickens. Do they lay eggs? Yes. Then give God the first egg. And they literally did. They began to bring God, they began to put it on the platform. At his little, he had a tent back in those days. And they would put it on the platform. And, and put those eggs, and God began to bless those people. And I visited that church in 1986, and I attended a Saturday morning breakfast, businessmen's, or men's breakfast, and there were 500 millionaires sitting in that room. 500. From eggs, that's right. They just learned to trust God and give. And so giving the first fruits was giving God your best. And, and agriculture. And so the tithe came to represent. And when people give God their first fruits, they're, they're recognizing that God is the source. Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And so there was, there's a sense of, of recognizing that God is the source. That when you give God the first fruits, you're saying, there's more where that came from. I'm giving it back to my source. I'm giving it back to the one who owns it all anyway. I'm just giving it back. I'm saying, Lord, you are my source. It's an act of worship. Secondly, it's, it's an, an act of acknowledging that God is our provider. 
And it, and it preceded the giving of the law, by the way. Tithing preceded. Somebody say, well, that's a law thing. Actually, no. There was tithing in the Bible before the giving of the law. It happened with Abraham and Melchizedek. That's right, in the book of Genesis. So it preceded the law, and it followed the, the, the law. Jesus told the Pharisees, your problem is you're tithing, but you're not doing justice. But then he says, this you ought to have done and not left the other undone. So he affirmed tithing as an important principle before the law and after the law. Another principle with tithing is that tithing sanctifies all that you possess. There's an interesting verse in Romans where Paul says, if the part of the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, because people used to offer bread as firstfruits to God, just kind of like bread here. They would come and offer it to the Lord and And Paul says, as the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So when you give God your 10%, He then sanctifies everything else you own. It's still His. It belongs to Him. And it's it's a way of saying, Lord, it's all yours. And you have the right to ask anything from me. And some people, like St. Francis and others... Uh, St. Anthony, one of my heroes of the Desert Fathers, literally gave everything they had away (laughs) and followed Jesus. And their legacy still lasts today. The true riches, right? So we all have different callings. I think of R.G. Letourneau. He began to... This is the guy that invented these earth mover tractors. And he he heard this teaching and he began to tithe. And God so blessed him, he began to give 20%, 30%. 40%, 50%. By the end of his life, he was giving 90% of his income away and living off the 10. John Wesley was the same. Great preacher, but he stayed living simply, living a generous life. So we all have different callings, but when we tithe, we're saying, Lord, it all belongs to you. And, 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 um, and that's where the offerings come in. Because... Uh, uh, as God begins to bless you, you realize there's an abundance and you begin to give beyond the tithe. And it's something Kathleen and I have always practiced, tithing and offerings, giving beyond the 10% as he leads. It's an act of faith. Um, it's an act of faith in, in, in God that he's a provider. I've got to learn how to operate this thing, don't I? Here we go. Okay. Jesus said this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I didn't have the good sense at McDonald's last night to grab my favorite little object lesson. Because have you ever seen those little McDonald's spoons? The little teeny-weeny things? I like to bring them out and say, you know, you, you, you give with this measure, God says, oh, okay. And he takes it and presses it down and gives it back to you, right? <laughs> And then I like to bring in a big shovel, and I just wasn't organized enough today. But, but, but it's, it's the measure that we give. So where does the tithe go? Let's talk about that. The first step is, is that the tithe, there's a principle of honor. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis where Abraham has won a battle. He's rescued his cousin Lot from, a, from some marauding nations that have kidnapped them. 
And he gets all his possessions back, gets all his relatives back, and he's bringing them home. And he's met by this mysterious guy called Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which is the modern-day Jerusalem. He's a Gentile. He has nothing to do with the Jewish people or the Hebrew race. But it says he brought out bread and wine. He brought out communion. It, 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 looks, it feels like that, doesn't it, a little bit? He brings out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So there's something about honor. So where does your tithe go? Your tithe goes, it's an expression of honor. Uh, I, I heard a beautiful message recently that when God says to honor someone, you know, it says honor your parents, for example. When God says honor someone, it says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, honor your spiritual leaders, but honor the, the elders that serve, that work hard among you. What is that honor about? It's about honoring the ones that God has appointed to take care of you. It's, a, it's about acknowledging God's care for your life. And in doing that, it, it releases kingdom principles where God is able to continue to care for you, continue to cover you. In fact, Paul said it this way to the Thessalonians, honor those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Honor them. Why? I will honor, I will honor you as you honor those I've appointed to take care of you. There's, there's a flow of honor that happens. There's a flow of care. In the book of Leviticus, um, as the law is introduced, the tithe was to take care of the, the priests and the Levites who would take care. And they had two jobs. They were to take care of the temple and corporate worship and the teaching of the law of God. God warned them, do not just give your tithe anywhere. You don't have the right to independently say, well, I'm going to give 1% over here and 1% over here and 3% over here. No, God says the place that I choose, bring your tithes. And it, it, what it does is it's a giving up of control. It's the giving up of saying, this is mine. It's saying, Lord, this belongs to you and I am part of your house, wherever that is. And if you're from another church today, then that's where you need to be faithful. If you're just visiting today, every one of us needs to find a spiritual community that is our house of worship. God's house is not a building, but how many know a building helps sometimes? Especially in Vancouver, right? Uh, it, it's not the most important thing, but it's important. I think space is important. I think our, our space and how we take care of it uh, is important. I so appreciate the work that Kenny's been doing. He's been working hard, putting lights in and, and, and fixing broken sinks and taps. And we actually found a toilet top lid for the ladies' bathroom. Hallelujah, right? That, is, that, is that spiritual? Is that worship? Is that important? Listen, if mama's happy, everybody's happy, right? It's important. It's important. All right. Keisha thinks so too. All right. Getting excited over there. So, um, so he warns against independence. In Israel, spiritual renewal was directly related to the renewal of tithes. 
When you read about these great revivals in Israel where they, they were in, in decline and had, had left God. So Nehemiah and, and Hezekiah and other great reformers would come along. And one of the things that would happen is they would restore the tithe. The church was in shambles. The toilets were falling apart. The, the place was a rubble and a mess. And the priests were out working in the fields because they couldn't afford to work in the temple. And God wasn't happy with that. And so they renewed the tithe and he said, these priests are too busy doing other stuff. They need to take care of the temple. We, you know what? If a local church is going to be healthy, I've heard about churches who say, well, we can't afford to pay our pastor anymore or we have to put him on part-time. I have seen it over and over and over again. That's been the beginning of the end. In the beginning of the end, because you need people set apart to serve the church, serve the people of God. And when you don't have it, the church gets unhealthy. Spiritual decline comes. It's just a law. And a and, uh, guy by the name of Haggai, one of my heroes, let's just flip forward to that. Um, he talks about this. Look at this. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. Have you ever felt that way? You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. So everybody's building their own big house, and God's house looked like a, an outhouse. And God says, it doesn't work that way. You want your house to do well? Then my house needs to do well. That's the way it goes. Am I in the right crowd here? Am I? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, just, just checking. Pretty quiet in here. So, so in the New Testament, let's, let's say, well, what's, that's Old Testament. How does that work in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, we have a scenario where the 12 apostles actually got really busy doing work that they were not called to do. And it was a crisis in the church. So what they did was... They got together and they said, brothers and sisters, choose among yourselves people full of wisdom who can take care of this administrative stuff. You see, if God's house is going to do well, you also need to pay some administrators. You need to pay some assistance. We did a study on uh, spiritual gifts a while ago through a program called Natural Church Development. And one of the, the weaknesses of our church was that people were serving in areas of ministry that did not match their spiritual gift. And you know what this, this program discerned was, is that the best way to get a church where their spiritual gifts are matching their ministry is you first of all make sure that leaders are operating in their gifts. So there, this is exactly what happened in the book of Acts. And so... Uh, notice what they said. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility, all this admin, over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. So, this proposal pleased the whole group 
And they chose seven. They presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So I want you to see the connection is that when people are set apart to give themselves to the ministry of the Word of God and to prayer, there, there's an increase in the whole church. There's an, the house of God begins to prosper. We see this in the New Testament. Paul wrote this to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Again, you see this principle of honor here. And by the way, I'm not preaching this because I don't feel honored here. I feel incredibly honored here. So I'm just letting you know this is something I would preach anywhere, whether I ever got a cent from that place or if I was a guest. This, I, I believe in this. I pre, it applies everywhere in the world. So uh, please understand this. I'm not trying to get you to do something you're not doing. I feel very loved and honored in this church. It's just a principle that I feel everybody needs to understand if you're going to be free, if you're going to have financial freedom in your own life. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox. See, I'm an ox. There you go. While it is treading out the grain, and workers deserve their wages. So this is important to God. This is discipleship, folks. Discipleship 101. Verse uh, 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul says it in a different way. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So finances are needed so that uh, uh, leaders, elders are freed up to teach, to pray, to give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Administrative help is needed. Assistant help is needed so that, that, so that they're not stuck. Because in a small church, one of the hazards is, for me and, and anybody else that pastors a church of a similar size, is that because you're the only staff, you end, up getting, you end up having to do, I should say, a lot of stuff that you're not called to do. And so that's why there needs to be finances for that too. And that, the budget that we put up, Every, every month, it has to do with that. It has to do with renting this place. Somebody said, well, that's not sexy. It's more sexy to dig wells in Africa. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't have the basics, if you don't have the foundation, you, you won't have the rest. You won't have missions if you don't have a healthy church. You won't have evangelism. You won't have social justice if you don't have a healthy church. That's the way it is. I'm sorry. Choose your friends. You're stuck with your relatives. Don't forget Jesus' hometown. This is my hometown. <laughs> now, I've been here 20 years. It must be. All right. And it's a good hometown at that. I love it. So, so we're almost done. So you say, well, what about special projects? What about missions? What about the poor? What about my friends and family? I mean, there's so many freaking birthday parties in this church. How in the world are we ever going to afford all the gifts? Well, <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Here's what Ronald Sider... Now, Ronald Sider wrote Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Listen to what he says about tithing. This is interesting. Because if anybody was about, ah, forget the building, forget the lights, forget the pastor's salary and all that stuff, just give to the poor, it would be him. Because he's this guy that wrote about how much, how much we're just so stingy. It's, it's ironic that in North America and Europe, the most wealthy nations on earth are the stingiest in their giving. And he, he cries out, and he says 20% of American Christians, 19% Protestants, 28% Catholics give nothing to the church. 
Among Protestants, 10% of evangelicals and 28% of mainliners, 33% of fundamentalists, and 40% of liberal Protestants give nothing. The vast majority of American Christians give very little. The mean average, as I said earlier, is 2.9%. But he said, listen to this now. You see these things? Here's what he says. If just the committed Christians, and he defines that by those who go to church most of the time. It's not Easter and Christmas here, folks. This is people who go three to four times a month. If they would tithe in America alone, so this is not a Canadian stat, this is America alone, there would be an extra $46 billion available for kingdom work. To make the figure more concrete, he says this. They would, that, would, that would finance 150,000 new missionaries. That would be indigenous in their country. That would fund 50,000 additional theological students who could afford regent, for crying out loud. Five million more microloans to the poor and entrepreneurs. Food, shelter, and clothing for 6,500,000 current refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. And the resources to sponsor 20 million needy children worldwide. This is children who would have food, shelter, education, grow up and get an education and, and begin to thrive. It would literally change the world. Just, just the basics, just the 10%. But he goes on to write that a small majority, and, and this has, by the way, been quite true of our church. I don't, I don't look at the financial records as a principle for me, but sometimes I've talked to people who handle our finances, and they say that 80% of our budget or more is handled by about 20% of those who regularly come to our church. 80%, and that 80 to 20% rule is the rule in most churches across North America. And I just, I just want to call us as a church to, to more. That's all. Just, just more. I, I, think, I think that the potential of blessing and seeing the kingdom advance is incredible. And then, of course, practicing the giving beyond the, the, the tithe, as I've talked about already. Kathleen and I, kind of in our minds psychologically, we, we, we automatically, on every income that we receive... The 10% is the tithe, and then we, we tithe an extra 10% of our net giving. We say, Lord, this is yours for whatever need comes across our, our path. We just say, we're not even going to think about it. It's just, it's available to you. Often ends up being my kids, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right, so some reflections and stories. We don't have time, but I told you about that. I told you about Yoido. Oh, Elijah and the widow, you know, going to that widow. And here he is, a middle-class prophet. And God says, I want you to go to a poor widow that's got nothing less left and ask her to give you her last piece of bread. And often as an inner-city pastor, you feel that way. But re realize that woman needed Elijah, and he needed her. It was a beautiful partnership where she gave God blessed her, met Elijah's needs, and God met her needs. And that's the way it works. So, for communion, let's reflect on this. What is my view towards God with regards to money? Is, is my view of God that he's stingy? That he's kind of resents blessing me? 
Or do I believe he's a good father, a generous father? I'm just going to invite our, our servers that are serving communion if you could come. And those who want to involve your children, please, uh, I want to invite you to just go and pick them up, sign them out, and bring them up. And uh, we're going to participate in communion this morning. Kind of to preface communion, what I'd like to do is just, again, uh, involve us as a church. I think communion is a good opportunity for this. In the, the, the prayers of the people, maybe we could all stand together for this this morning. And um, be, again, because our time is short, I'm going to just quickly just mention the names of people we're praying for in our congregation. Uh, you'll notice some new ones that are on the sheet because some of you responded to your Connect form last Sunday, which is awesome. And some of you, we, we're keeping those requests confidential because they're sensitive, so there'll be places for us to pray for that. But just before we partake in communion, let's just take a moment and, and pray. Father, we... We ask you right now for uh, just your grace for those in our church that need healing. Spiritual, emotionally, mental, physical, financial, that need healing financially. Relationally. And Lord, we lift the following people up before you and ask for your healing power to touch and heal them. Again, for Don and his family, for Gwen. Father, let your kingdom come. As we heard earlier, let your will be done. For Caleb, Bob and Anna's grandson, and for Monica's sister Gala, that she would continue to recover after her surgery. Lord, for Marcus, our son-in-law, that you would continue to touch his foot. And for Ross, his sister Tara, for healing from cancer. For Gordy Gibosh, for healing in mind and body, and also for financial provision and open doors for work for them, Lord. Lord, we pray for Anne-Marie, for her ongoing health issues, that you'd lead her and give her favor. For Ed Schultz, that you would heal him of his lymphoma. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for Susan, for her ongoing health issues. For Esther Moon, for her brother's son who's suffered a brain clot, blood clot, and for Carolyn's son, Devin, for recovery from concussion, and for Rose, for the healing of her feet and for her metabolism. Lord, in your mercy. And let's just lift up Lord, these other uh, requests for family members. Think of those in your life this morning that need he- salvation, who need Christ to come into their lives. Lord, we ask that you would save our loved ones. Lord, we pray for the Nauman family as they are going to have to move from their house. Provide for them, Lord, a home. And for Lexi and Amanda and for Ariana, Lord, for favor for, for uh, Lexi's immigration. Lord, in your mercy. And lastly, Lord, we pray. Somebody just flip that forward for me. Uh, for those who are abroad, for Merrick as a professor in Kabul, Afghanistan, for the Pentelti family in Rwanda, and for Art and Dixie with their housing venture, Blue Denim. Lord, we pray for favor, protection, and blessing. Lord, in your mercy. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body, 
which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For if you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he come. I just want to open this table to anyone. Maybe you're here and you're not even sure if this is true, but inside your heart you're saying, I believe, but I struggle with things. I think Jesus is offering an open door for you to come. What we usually do is we just come, if you're a visitor, we usually come form an aisle down this way and we serve the bread and then we do it by intinction, which means that you take a piece of the bread from Rick and then you dip it in the cup and partake. If you'd like more prayer, you're welcome to stay here at the front or just go back to your seat and have somebody pray for you that you, 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 you love and trust. Yeah, there's an alternative for those uh, who are not able to have gluten in their bread. There's an alternative uh, product here for you. So may the Lord uh, bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. And as we participate together of the body and the blood of Christ, may the Holy Spirit come upon you, overwhelm you, fill you, and give you a fresh new vision of your generous Father who is so in love with you. Have a wonderful, grace-filled, spirit-filled week. In Jesus' name, amen. Just come. God bless you as you do.